front air conditioning one on the fritz this morning. So the, the, all you guys in the back, you got the air. It's cool back there. So we're going to try and get a, a cross breeze up here in the front. Uh, just keep it cool. But uh, uh, hopefully it won't be too loud out there. You know, even with the windows shut, sometimes you hear the motorcycle guy comes by. And I was like, all right. Well, glad you're here this morning. We are continuing our study through the book of First Peter. We're in chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first four verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Anybody at all, anybody at all need a Bible? And we'll get one to you. First Peter chapter 5, the first four verses this morning. Starting in verse 1, we read, Peter writing, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The title of my message this morning is How to Be a Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to spend this time together in your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here and and teaching us, Lord, what we need to hear. <clears throat> sometimes it's not what we want to hear, but sometimes it's things that we absolutely need to hear. And, Lord, we thank you for your word and, and the power that it has to change our lives and to draw us closer to you. We pray your blessing upon our time together. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again today. Lord, would uh, you just open their eyes, help them to see their need for you, Lord, and that they return to you today in faith. So bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sheep are not the brightest of animals, for an example. Sheep are not really the brightest of animals. You know, they aren't really seen as aggressive animals. I mean, I've never seen the sign that said, beware of sheep. Have you? I've not seen that. Why? Because sheep, they're docile, even timid creatures. Not only are they timid, they require much care. In fact, they require a shepherd. Well, here in chapter 5, Peter is exhorting the elders in the church in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, in verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God. Now, when we talk about shepherding, or when Peter writes to us about shepherding, we're a little bit at a loss to understand what this means, since I really doubt that there's any shepherds here in this uh, place this morning. Plenty of sheep, or at least that's the way the Bible describes us. 
But did you know that a, the sheep is the only uh, animal in the world that can be totally lost from just two miles away from home? They, they, they have no instinct to get back to where they came from. Even that cat that you're trying to get rid of and you drop off several neighborhoods away finally will find its way home. I'm not saying I've never done that. I'm not saying I've never wanted to do that, but... A sheep, they can't do that. Sheep, they have no ability to find their way back. Has no sense of direction whatsoever. And it will inevitably walk around in circles, around and around and around, and continuing in confusion and unrest and even panic. They go astray and they get lost and they become helpless and unable to find food and water. The fact is there are over one billion sheep in the world and they would all starve to death or die of thirst if it weren't for the tens of thousands of caring shepherds who make sure they're protected and, and well-fed, kept in their pastures. They lead them to places where they can eat and where they can, can drink and so, so they can stay healthy. In fact, one professor of philosophy, tongue-in-cheek, said, the existence of sheep is evidence against the theory of evolution. There's no way sheep could have survived that process. You know, survival of the fittest. Well, they wouldn't have made it. They're not. They require constant oversight and constant leading and constant rescuing and constant cleaning or they will die. Now, think about this. Jesus, when Jesus saw the disoriented, confused, spiritually hungry, lost crowd, he said of them in Matthew 9, 36, they are like sheep without a shepherd. And everybody understood what that meant because sheep without a shepherd are hopeless and they're helpless and they're lost. And when you go through scriptures, you know, you often notice that the figure of the shepherd is one of the most heartwarming pictures of a relationship that we have with God and God has with his people. It's a picture of his care, of his diligence. The Lord, Lord is often seen as a shepherd in scripture. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God, it is He who has made us, and we not ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And I love Isaiah 40, 11, He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with His arms and carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And many, many, many more scriptures. Now God, in His great wisdom, has raised up under-shepherds, pastors, elders, to oversee His church. And Peter's going to talk about that leadership in these first four verses here. Now, let me say that even if you're not in leadership in the church, the section of Scripture can apply to all of us as believers, uh, as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anyone in a position of authority. There are principles to glean from this section of Scripture for all of us, but especially if perhaps you feel a call to the ministry. Pastor Chuck Smith once said, one of the things I love about Calvary chapels in general is our openness to empower men and women who seem to the world to be unqualified for leadership. Calvary Chapel doesn't call the trained, we train the called. I like that. With that said, in our day and age, when anybody and everybody can call themselves a pastor or a leader, Peter gives us really three things to look at when it comes to shepherding the flock of God. If you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. Number one, the role. Number two, the responsibilities. And number three, the reward. Let's begin with the role. Peter gives us some titles in these first few verses that we need to identify. Verse one, we, need, we see the word elder. Verse two, we see the word shepherd and overseers. 
These words are used interchangeably all throughout the New Testament to describe the role of a pastor. The title of an elder simply means a man who is mature in the Lord, not necessarily an elder in age, but someone who's, who's not a novice. Someone who's walked with the Lord for a while and has con- some considerable experience. Same thing is true for the word overseer. You know, his or her role is simply having the responsibility to oversee a group of people. Someone who ministers to the needs of others and makes sure the body's being taken care of and watch out for the wolves that may come in to kill and to destroy. And the third term we find in this text is the word shepherd. And his role, we looked at already, is to feed and to tend the sheep. Jesus said to Peter in John's Gospel, chapter 21, Peter, do you love me more than these? And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. So you have an elder who is man mature in the Lord, stable, an overseer, someone who makes sure the ministry aspect of the body is taken care of, and the shepherd really is the method, making sure the body is well fed. The man, the ministry, the method. Now, the same thing can and should be applied in our homes. You as a dad are the man. You're the man that you have, you have the ministry to oversee the care of your family, to protect and care for. It's your responsibility to feed the sheep in your family. To be that under-shepherd, following Jesus Christ, leading your family the way God has called you to lead. Mom, you too, is an overseer as well. Someone who makes sure everything runs smoothly. Because our good shepherd is Jesus Christ, leading and guiding us through His Word and by His Holy Spirit. Now notice that though Peter was a pastor, teacher, evangelist, he also considered himself to be a fellow elder. Look at verse 1. He says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Notice what Peter didn't say. He didn't say, to the elders who are among you I exhort, I am Peter, the rock. Maybe he's a little eyebrow going up, you know. First Pope, you know, you better listen up what I got to say. No, he doesn't do any of that. Just humility says, listen, I'm just, just a fellow elder. I'm one of you. I may have had a little more history with Jesus than you have. I did witness his suffering, he says. I did witness his glory on the mountain there on Transfiguration, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He might have said, I should have closed my mouth. I spoke up when I should because I didn't know what to say. And I let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. God had to tell me to be quiet, basically. You know, uh, Peter was just like... Any one of us, he was not perfect by any means. In fact, even after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul had to rebuke Peter for his bias. Peter would eat with the Gentiles, but then when the Jews come along, he'd have nothing to do with the Gentiles. Paul had to say, listen, buddy, you need to not do that, Galatians 2. But, But there's hope in Peter because as Peter yielded to Christ and was willing to learn what God had for him, he matured and grew so much that he can then pass on these truths that we're reading about this morning to us. Now again, just because anybody can call themselves a pastor and because we happen to be in our text, I want to lay out three things that should determine whether or not a pastor is truly called to that role, if a person's really called to the ministry in this way. The first one we see that I want to point out is that he has a desire. In other words, it's on his heart. Paul would back this up by his words in 1 Timothy 3, 1, where it says, This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. In other words, the, the desire would be there. 
Now, I would say back in Peter's day, it was a little more difficult to find those that desired to be a pastor at that time. It wasn't on the top 10, 10 careers you want to go into after college. It'd be like looking for guys to join the military who wants to be on the bomb squad. You know, you're just defusing the bombs. That's just your job, you know. Well, the same is true for pastors. Why? Because pastors were the biggest targets for persecution. They were the first ones killed. Who's, who's the leader here? And they, they take them out. Even Peter makes a comparison to how hard it can be when he says in verse 1 that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker, he says, of the glory that will be revealed. Peter had witnessed the sufferings of Christ, what Jesus went through. He experienced the glory of Jesus rising from the dead, the risen Lord. And Jesus told Peter, you're following right behind me. And Peter would suffer persecution and imprisonment and eventually martyrdom. So suffering was not an abstract idea to Peter. It was his daily existence. It was his earthly destiny. And I know we've covered a lot about suffering already in the past few chapters, but my point is this. Peter was someone qualified to exhort leaders about personal suffering, yet he couldn't talk about suffering without immediately mentioning the glory that will be revealed. All the present suffering that we go through in life can't be compared with future glory. Suffering and glory, it goes hand in hand. Jesus lived it, so will you, so will I. It's a perspective that we as leaders must hold, especially in our hearts, and must permeate their ministry. Because being a pastor in Peter's day meant persecution, meant sacrifice. Listen, even today it's important that a man knows what he's getting himself into. If he desires to be in leadership, an elder, an overseer, a pastor, because an elder is a guy who's seasoned. Again, he's been around in the ministry for a while has done some under, and he understands some of the sacrifice and commitment it takes, as well as the warfare that comes along with the job. So it begins first with a desire, a burden to be more involved in serving God's people. If there's a true call to the ministry, then there must be this irresistible, overwhelming craving and desire for telling others what God has done in our lives. Charles Spurgeon, in his book, Lectures to My Students, writes this. Do not enter the ministry if you can help it. If any student in this room could be content to be a newspaper editor or a grocer or a farmer or a doctor or a lawyer or a senator or a king in the name of heaven and on earth, let him go his way. He is not the man in whom dwells the Spirit of God in its fullness. For a man so filled with God would utterly weary of any pursuit but that for which his inmost soul pants. If, on the other hand, You can say that for all the wealth of both the Indies, you cannot and dare not espouse any other calling so as to be put aside from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ than depend upon it. If other things be equally satisfactory, you have the signs of this apostleship. We must feel that woe is unto us if we preach not the gospel. The word of God must be unto us as fire in our bones. Otherwise, if we undertake the ministry, we shall be unhappy in it shall be unable to bear the self-denials incident to it and shall be of little service to those among whom we minister. So again, the desire, the burden should be there involved in wanting to serve God's people in this capacity. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is going to confirm that desire. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be evident in that person's life. doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean the characteristics of the Lord will be evident. I mean, he's not going to be a person walking around who's, who's a real jerk, you know, someone you can't trust. It's like the pastor who said, I love pastoring, I just don't like people. Well, then you shouldn't be a pastor, all right? You know, it's like saying, I love being a dad, I just can't stand my kids. But 
at times, but no. <laughs> Kidding. Love my kids. But the fruit of the Spirit is going to be evident in that person's life. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, self-control, which should be there for every believer in Jesus Christ. Then a third evidence that God has called you maybe into this leadership position is that the sheep will recognize it. Jesus said in John 10, verse 3, that the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. In the same way, as an under-shepherd, a pastor is one that cares for the feeding of the sheep and for the church. And the sign of a real shepherd is you'll see them continually pointing to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And in turn, the people will hear his voice because he is listening to Jesus' voice and he's sharing it to the people. It'll be evident that God is using that person. In other words, it's recognized that there's a calling on his life. Perhaps you've heard of the story about the husband and, and his wife. They arose one Sunday morning and the wife was all dressed for church. Just about time to leave for service when she noticed that her husband hadn't even moved a finger towards getting dressed. Perplexed, she asked, why aren't you getting dressed for church? He says, because I don't want to go. She asked, well, do you have any reasons? He says, yeah, I have three reasons why. First, the congregation is cold. Second, no one likes me. And third, I just don't want to go. The wife replied wisely, well, honey, I have three reasons why you should go. First, the congregation is warm. Second, there are a few people that do like you. And third, you're the pastor. You need to get dressed. So... The role of the pastor, actually the call is that he has a desire in his heart. The Holy Spirit is going to confirm that desire and the sheep will recognize it. And this brings us to point number two, the responsibilities. And in verses two and three, Peter gives us really the responsibilities of a shepherd or a pastor, overseer, or elder. Five of them I want to point out through these scriptures. Look at verses two and three. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So Peter says, okay, first and foremost, as an elder or pastor, your responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Notice whose flock they're to be watching. God's flock. It's God's church. It's God's sheep. God ultimately takes care of his church. As pastors, though, God places men as stewards over God's church, over God's flock, but it's a pastor's job to remember who he works for. That's why James tells us in James chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So when it comes to the flock of God, we have to remember who the owner is and whose property we are on and who we have to answer to. That means, among other things, that the shepherd is going to communicate well with the owner of the sheep. That means a true shepherd is going to be a man of prayer. And Jesus was a perfect example of this, always spending time in prayer with the Father. Even when Satan desired to sift Peter's wheat, Jesus told him, Peter, Satan has sought to sift his wheat, but I have prayed for you. E.M. Bounds once wrote, The men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. It's also been said that prayer is one half of a man's ministry and prayer is what gives the other half all its power and success. Because a good leader will seek to find the heart and the mind of God and be able to communicate that with the people God has placed him as overseer. 
to know what God wants to do with this body of believers and the direction He wants to take this church and what the focus should be. What direction does God want to take this church? Is it a missions-directed church? Is it an evangelical, more evangelical church? Is it a, a you know, what, whatever it is? And the, look at the, the venues. How, how can we serve the Lord better in, in this capacity or that capacity? What has God gifted this fellowship for? What does God want for, for this flock? What direction does He want us to go? Listen, the same thing is true for you as a parent in your home. We need to be in touch with our Good Shepherd, seeking God for leading our families, praying for direction, praying for protection, praying for discernment. We need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and consistent in God's Word so that we can be used by God in shaping the lives of our children to follow Jesus Christ. Also notice that Peter says in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That means I'm not called, are you either to shepherd the church down the street any more than some pastor around the corner is called to, to shepherd this flock. It would be like saying, well, you know, my calling is to tell your kids what they should or shouldn't be doing. <laughs> my ministry, you know. Get out of town, buddy. That's your job. You take care of your kids, I'll take care of mine. Obviously, that doesn't mean we can't have accountability with other pastors to share and to strengthen both churches. But, but God lifts up certain people to oversee the care of each flock or church with Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And, and that is a common bind we have. We all serve the same Lord and Master. And obviously that doesn't mean as a parent you can't come alongside another family and say, man, I see you're struggling here. Uh, can I pray for you? Or, or this is how we handle it in, in our life, in our kids, you know, maybe this might help or, or, or whatever, some, some way to help in the same way, you know, that, to have that, that fellowship with other churches, it, it's great to have. So the first responsibility for the pastor is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What next? Second responsibility of the shepherd is to feed the sheep. That's what shepherds do. They feed the sheep. And that is really the most important job of the pastor, to make sure the sheep are well fed. Again, Jesus said after the resurrection to Peter, three times do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. It's what shepherds do. They feed sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, David said. He leads me into green pastures. My sheep provides me food. My shepherd rather provides me food, and that's one of the main tasks of a pastor. It's been said the pastor's job is to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. I like that one. If you go to a church where the word of God is not being taught, it's time to find another church. My goal as a pastor is have the have the best fed sheep in all of the Ozarks. That's why we put such a strong emphasis on the, 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 the book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse teaching of the Word of God to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul said it in Acts 20, verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. That means not only the parts we enjoy, but the difficult passages as well. You know, as a pastor, I don't necessarily like teaching about the role of the pastor. Not my favorite subject, but that's a part of the equipping the saints, and that's where we happen to be in these first four verses uh, of God's Word as we study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. But there are times when I'm reading ahead and, and I see a difficult section of Scripture and I say to myself, oh, this isn't going to be fun to talk about. We're going to have to bring this up. It's kind of like getting to the part of Rahab the harlot in children's ministry and the kid asking the Sunday school teacher, what's a harlot? Now, for kids, we say, go ask your mother when you get out of class. 
She'll tell you all about it. But the pastor's responsibility, feed the flock, even the tough subjects, to prepare that meal of God's word and present it to the sheep. Sadly, today, many pastors from many pulpits are, are, are just preparing junk food, fast food, subjects that tickle the taste buds but have no nutritional value. Sweet subjects of God's love and God's grace, but never the meat of the words and subjects like repentance and sin and holiness. Why is that? I think for a number of reasons, but, but one of them mainly is because preparing a good meal takes time. It takes time. My wife loves to cook, and she is really, really good at it. I'm a blessed man. I get these meals served to me that should be on cooking shows. I mean, it's plated. It's got all these little things here like that, you know. But it just doesn't happen. I mean, she looks up recipes. She reads. She orders the, the, the groceries. She gets them. She studies how to make, make the certain meal. Then she, she gets all the ingredients. She pairs it. And then she puts it all together. And it's wonderful. Now, not everything she makes I like. Now, it's not on her. You know, there's been a couple times in our 43 years of marriage that she has made a few things that I went, oh, not because she didn't prepare it right. It was right, but because I just didn't like the taste. She made eggplant. Who likes eggplant? I don't, I don't like eggplant, okay? And why do people say, oh, you've got to try my eggplant. It doesn't taste like eggplant. It's eggplant. It's going to taste like eggplant. It's like saying, you know, man, you've got to try this ice cream. It tastes like steak. No, I want ice cream to taste like ice cream. My point is this. She spends a whole lot of time preparing a meal. It's something that I don't really like, but I know they're good for me. And I've got to take it in. Same way. A pastor worth listening to is one who has thought through the truth in the presence of the Holy Spirit, has taken the time to prepare a good, well-balanced meal with some things we may not like to hear, but we know it's absolutely good for us. But a pastor has to put the time in. The words of Paul to young Timothy were these, Be diligent in 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be prepared. Study hard. And then teach the word book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. The greatest need in a pulpit in America today is teaching the word. The greatest need in Springfield today is churches that get back to teaching the word of God. And that's why Paul went on to tell young Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Main job of a pastor. And if a pastor is not doing that, then he's not fulfilling the call that God has placed on his life as being a pastor and he should not be in the pulpit. I've always liked the illustration that Skip Heitzig used about uh, a Native American man, an older man, who went to church one Sunday and heard his, his preacher. It was a Sunday when the preacher didn't study, didn't spend time in the Word, didn't prepare for the message. So he tried to cover up his lack of, of, of preparation by being very long-winded, very dramatic, pounding on the pulpit and really speaking loud and running back and forth, really kind of putting out a, a pep rally. In fact, he's, he's frothing and he's spitting and just moving around. And some people actually thought he preached up a storm. That's what they said. Man, he really preached up a storm. And they asked the older Native American gentleman afterwards, what do you think of the sermon? He said, I have six words. High wind, big thunder, no rain. High wind, big thunder, no rain. Where's the nourishment? Boy, he preached up a storm, but where's the rain? That's why God, speaking through Ezekiel the prophet, said this in Ezekiel 34 two: Son of man, 
prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Yes, absolutely. It's a job of a shepherd. It means feeding the sheep. And let me just say, not just one verse and then springboarding off to their favorite subject. You know, and Jonah found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and he went down into it. And we all need to pay our fare, and we need to talk about money, and you need to get... No, that's not what it's about. It doesn't have anything to do with the text. This brings us to our third responsibility of the shepherd. First, recognize it's God's sheep. Second, feed the sheep. Thirdly, protect the sheep. It's like this sign I found. This is this warning. Property protected by an attack sheep. Attack sheep is protected by my gun. <laughs> That's because sheep need protecting. A good shepherd protects the sheep. So when Peter says in verse 2 that a shepherd is going to serve as an overseer, that means they're aware of what's going on around them. Aware of what's going on in the fellowship. If you're an overseer, if you're a pastor, an elder, in order to protect and serve, you need to be around. But let me say, this also applies to us as dads, as pastors of our own homes, moms as well. In order to protect your kids, you have to know what's going on in their lives, who they're talking to, or what, who they're spending their time with. You know, what are they watching on TV? What movies are they looking at? What games are they playing? Same way, you really can't be in leadership overseeing the care of people of the church if you're not around, if you're not involved. You can't be watching out sheep if you're not around the sheep. But this word for overseer also has the, has the idea of that of protection. Not just physical protection, obviously, but, but spiritual protection. The Apostle Paul, uh, we, you know, we protect the same way he did, by watching and warning. In, in the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul, in speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus, he said this, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul said, after I leave, I know savage wolves are going to try and get in here and infiltrate. So you need to do two things. You need to watch and you need to warn. Watch out for the wolves. They're out there. But warn those that would come in and rip off the flock. Now, how do they devour the flock from the outside? Well, Peter will get into that in chapter 2. Let me just give you a, a um, kind of a sneak preview. Chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, chapter Second Peter 2, verse 1 and 2c says this, But there will also be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. We'll get to that deeper when we get to that section, but how do they secretly bring in destructive heresies today? We're seeing it through the danger of tolerance. Isn't that what the, the, the key word we're hearing today? Tolerance, tolerance. It begins with the church not preaching about sin, not preaching God's word, and it ends with all sorts of acceptance to all kinds of perverted lifestyles and destructive heresies. That's why we just read from Paul in verse 30 of Acts 20 when he wrote of the dangers of this, that from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. He's warning about the dangers of false teachers coming into the church. 
who start teaching things that, that are not right. That word perverse means to distort or to misinterpret. You know, I say, well, you hear people come, well, you know, this is what I think it really means, and they give you some interpretation. Like I said, we'll get closer to that when we get to Second Peter, but my point is this. Paul says a good warning sign that the person is teaching false doctrine and heresies is that he will seek to draw people to himself. If you're ever in a setting where someone is teaching and you start to hear things like, well, we have discovered the deeper truths of God or God has given me alone the true meaning of this verse. Be careful. Be on guard. Another warning to be aware of within the church is when you see a group or church more excited about who is teaching rather than who they're teaching about, Jesus. Then there's trouble. Oh, he's so wonderful. Oh, man, he's such a great speaker. Yeah, yeah okay. But is he pointing people to Jesus? Because that's what's most important. If he's pointing people to himself and all you hear is, I did this and I did that, me, 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 then watch out and warn. It should be him, him, him. It should be all about Jesus. Listen, we, we need to know there are wolves and there are shepherds out there and we need to recognize the difference. And a good way to tell if someone is a wolf or not is really quite simple. Wolves eat sheep. There it is. It doesn't get any more basic than that. They feed on them. They seek to get all they can from them. Whereas shepherds seek to, to see what they can give to the sheep. How they can uh, feed the sheep. Because as Christians, as the sheep of the Lord in the life that we live, wolves are always going to be out to get us. They always will be. Listen, again, this isn't just for pastors. and, uh, and, and, and you know, This is for, for all of us. I think even for, for single sisters out there who might be considering a, a future husband, you know, what are his interests? Is he interested in serving you? Is he interested in blessing you? Seeing how he can take care of you? Or is he only interested in what he can get from you? It's interesting to me, I, I've been watching some of these old cartoons with my granddaughter the other day, the, the, the three pigs and the big bad wolf, and, and they always make the wolf out, you know, with the big eyes, and they, they see the girl, and then he howls, oh! You know, there's a reason they make those cartoons like that. Because men can be like that. So I'm just saying, ladies, single ladies, just be careful, okay? <laughs> and so shepherds protect, they oversee, they watch, they warn of the wolves. The next responsibility of a true shepherd is that shepherds will serve willingly. They'll serve willingly. Again, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. He says that a shepherd, he's not going to serve by compulsion, but willingly. Many churches compel men to serve. But, but as a result, it's a grudging, burdensome, joyless service. Let me just say, leadership is a calling, not a compulsion. In other words, your motivation should not stem from someone relentlessly badgering you. Man, we really need you to serve. Man, you need to come and be part of this ministry. You need to get involved in this ministry. It needs to be an internal call of God. Where you're praying and God lays on your heart, man, I really want you to get involved in this ministry. I really want you to, to maybe see if you can minister over here. Because if it's a calling, then there's a willingness to serve the Lord. And it's carried out with gladness and joy. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Not for dishonest gain, Peter says, but eagerly. Boy, we see a lot of dishonest gain today, don't we? Pastors only serving for the money. Serving for what they can get out of it. You know, I talked to uh, Wakas from Pakistan. I talked to my friend John from India. And he says, some of these guys in those countries, especially some of these pastors, have money. And so they want to get into the ministry because it's all about the money. 
I, I mean, the Lord certainly knows there are way too many so-called ministers who are only in it for dishonest gain. And, and we've talked about this before, and I don't really like kicking a dead horse, but I'll kick it just one more time because, you know, there are wolves out there in TV land that call themselves evangelists that are close to billionaire status because they fleece the flock of God. They've served for dishonest gain. Perhaps they didn't start out that way, but covetousness set in, and they then began to justify their covetousness by twisting Scripture and somehow trying to convince themselves that convincing people to give them, you know, the, the little grocery money all they have for the last the month, it's going to be the will of God. That's not the case. Now, that doesn't mean that a pastor shouldn't be paid. The Bible says a worker is worthy of his wages. But the point Peter's making is that money should not be the motive for serving the Lord in ministry. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the responsibility of the pastor, shepherd is uh, recognize it's God's sheep, feed the sheep, protect the sheep, serve willingly. And the fifth, fifth responsibility is that shepherds lead by example. Look at verse 3. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I know I've shared this before with you, but, but it's worth repeating. As a pastor, I am not the reverent, most holy, right bishop, Pastor Tom. I'm not. Don't call me that. I'll hit you. But, but um, no, I won't hit you. Rather, I'm just one sheep. Uh, you know, I, I, I like the way my pastor says, I'm just one beggar telling other beggars where to find food, okay? I like the way Pastor John Corson puts it. He describes it this way. Why am I up front? Well, if the church were likened to a hospital, I am up front simply because I've been a patient a little longer than most of you in the hospital of God's grace and goodness. So I know where the cafeteria is. And where the restrooms are, I know which orderlies to watch out for and which doctors have big needles. <laughs> you see, we're all sheep so that no one in the body of Christ can lord over anyone else. Rather, we're called to be an example. And here's how we can bring it all together and apply this to all of, our, to all of us this morning. In parenting, in pastoring, or anything else concerning working with people, the bottom line is we all need to be an example of Jesus Christ. Peter says, be an example to the flock. Whether it's raising your children, serving here at Calvary, we're not to lord over people, but we're called to lead by example. Because we are being led by the example of Jesus. And let me tell you, there's a big difference between dictatorship and leadership. Dictatorship says go. Leadership says, let's go. It's been said that a real leader will lead where people don't want to go, but they'll be happy when they get there. I like that one. Whether people are, are pastoring, the true leader is involved in whatever he's teaching or helping others to do. Paul said uh, to Timothy, be an example to the believers. Jesus is our greatest example. He went to the cross for you. He, he went to the cross for me. He could have at any point said, no, I don't think so. He had the free will not to do what his father asked of him. But he chose to deny himself, humble himself, go to the cross and die for you and die for me. Should we not be willing to do the same for one another? Deny ourselves, seek to serve the Lord fully, wholeheartedly, not wavering, not, not waning from the truth, but looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, as our example. So this brings us to our final point. So we've seen the role of the, the pastor, overseer, shepherds, elders, uh, includes anyone who leads your own family. We've seen the responsibility to recognize, to feed, to protect, to serve, and to lead. And our last point, point number three, the reward. Look at verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. 
Isn't that one of the most beautiful titles ever of Jesus? He is the chief shepherd. I love that. He's the, he's the best shepherd. You know, he's, he's the, the chief shepherd. We're just under shepherds feeding the flock that he's entrusted to us. Now, you'll remember that up to this point, Peter's encouraging a suffering group of people, right? We've been looking at that for the last few chapters. And one of the ways that he has been encouraging them is he says, hold on, I know it's tough now. Keep your eyes on the Lord, because when Jesus comes back, it's going to be great. The best is yet to come. You're going to get a reward, look towards the future, look towards the goal of the glory of God. And he's saying the same thing now to these pastors. He says, listen, if you're an example... If you're feeding the people, if you're caring for them, the day is coming where all of those things that were unnoticed, they're going to be greatly rewarded. Now let me say this, the crowns that, pe- that uh, Peter's speaking of, they're not crowns just to parade around in when we get to heaven. Oh, look at my crown, look at my crown, look at that. No. I, th- I believe these crowns are for us to cast at Jesus' feet in gratitude and adoration for all he's done for us. But also know that these crowns represent rewards that will determine the responsibilities that we have in eternity. The greater rewards, the greater capacity to enjoy eternity. Listen, crowns are not only for shepherds, but for everyone who was faithful to Jesus and did what, what He has called them to do. Bottom line is that God has called each one of us to be faithful in whatever He's called you to do. Hey, you, know, you work at Walmart, be faithful in your job. You work at Costco, you work construction, you work teaching. Be faithful in what God has called you to do. Be that example of what it means to, 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 to uh, you know, be a good steward over God, the time that God's given you. And then when we stand before the Lord, you'll hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I really don't want to hear when I stand before the Lord, not so bad, you're sometimes good, sometimes faithful servant. <laughs> I don't want to hear, well, Tom, you made it. <laughs> you know, I would love, well done, now good and faithful servant. And I hope you do too. Finally, one more thing before we close. Jesus said in John ten eleven, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus gave his life for us upon that cross. Psalm 95, verse 7 and 8 said, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ this morning, my hope, my prayer is right now, you will hear his voice. You will not harden your heart. You will see your need to repent from your sin, turn to Jesus Christ, admit to him that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short. Receive the forgiveness that he wants to give you. And you can be born again this morning. If that's your desire, as soon as service is over, please come up and talk to me so I can pray with you and give you a Bible and just encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that we spend in your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for just showing us different areas in all of our lives that we need to apply these truths to. Lord, I know that it's different for each person here. But there's some truths that were the same for all of us, Lord. That we need to, 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 to be good stewards, Lord, over our lives and serving you. Good examples to those that are around us. Lord, help us as leaders, Lord, even in this church, to be good shepherds, under shepherds. 
Lord, I, I especially thank you for this. I'm a blessed man to be a pastor of such a wonderful church and the people that you've brought in. Lord, I am so blessed. I'm so encouraged. And the work that you have for us, Lord, I'm thankful you have a plan and a purpose and a direction and the growth that we've been experiencing lately, Lord. It's been such a great blessing, Lord, but we know you have a plan and a purpose behind it. Lord, our heart is just to bring you glory in all that we do. So we pray that you continue to give uh, the leadership of this church wisdom. We pray you'll give all of us wisdom, Lord, as we just follow you, hold fast to you. And finally, Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, that they would give their life to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and we'll do one last.